Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the 1099 for the week of August 8th, 2016. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the owner of Good Game Bro, a returning guest, and my former boss, Dougie Vini. Doug, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Do I get like a uh, special cup of coffee for being a second time guest? Like, is that Maybe I'll get like air horns when you come on. <laughs> like, you're not actually going to get anything physical. It's just in the podcast. There's like this and then there's it'll have, like a wrestler entrance, even though this is all audio and no video. So I might have to figure out a way to do this. Maybe I'll put it on YouTube. I I'm down. I just want like the Stone Cold Steve Austin breaking glass and like the rock intro. Like you can splice those. Perfect. No I can deal. absolutely do that. That's that's as far as my video <laughs> editing skills, though, I can only splice together different wrestler intros, but I can't do anything else. My boss is very upset about that. She's like, how have you not been able to make any sort of like background for your interviews? I'm like nuts, wrestler bust. It's all I got in the tank. Uh, when, when I start, not that I'm ever going to, but if I would ever sell merch with like the 1099 on it you would get at least a free mug or like a 50 percent coupon code how about that is that good i'm down and i'll tweet out like at least two pictures in the first 24 hours oh this is great uh, this is actually <laughs> that's part of the podcast this is this is the business plan for the future no one else should know about this they're gonna start stealing it uh so i had you on before like i mentioned like one of the early early episodes and we kind of talked about stick skills which was the site that you ran for the long longest time it was uh, correct me if I'm wrong, graduation project? Yeah, high school senior graduation. Yeah, yep. graduation project, and it turned into kind of this site that uh, if you look at the people who came through that, it, it fostered a lot of interesting people who got really great jobs, like Nick Mudry, who works at Harmonix, and Dylan Skiffington, who's doing great stuff with Zam and Hearthhead and stuff like that. And Todd Schlickburn has suddenly moved, and he's working for Peanut Butter Gaming and, like, just getting all these kind of Twitter followers. I'm unbelievably jealous. But, like, that's kind of where we talked about last time. But uh, during that time, you had formed Good Game Bro, which was a sister site mostly about shooters and sports games. And uh, at, at the time, it was, you know, a website, like I mentioned. But now you've kind of, like, focused all on the YouTube aspect of that, the actual video. Uh, so if you were going to give me or anyone else the elevator pitch for what Good Game Bro is, what would it be? Because from a distance, when I first started watching it, I had never really seen anything, these kind of sports game series like that before. Then I realized there's other stuff like that out there. So how would you kind of describe it? Yeah, I mean, it's I like to think it's unique. Hopefully no one else, you know, is going to shoot that down. But to me, it's basically sports and shooters, like you mentioned. Um, and I'm creating these career series to take players from their rookie year to all the way when they retire. And they just show kind of the struggle they're going through. And then with shooters, this is kind of showing how terrible I am at shooters as I get older. <laughs> um, and then talking to my audience is what it's basically about. Yeah, the, the the getting older and getting bad at shooters thing is real. Like, there's just 100%. this certain moment where you fall off a cliff and you start thinking, like, man, this game, like, I just I just don't get it. Maybe it sucks. Maybe it's glitchy. Like, no, you're just bad. Like, you're just bad. Like Everyone to, else is good at it. I like to blame lag, and then I realize I have a really good connection, and then I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> I'm definitely getting old. And it was a website before. What made you really double down on the video aspect of Good Game Bro and not try to maintain both? Because, I mean, you were always someone who... Uh, you're good at analytics. You're good at understanding how websites work. That's why Stick Skills was around for so long and, you know, was so successful for so long. So what kind of made you say, like, it's it's YouTuber bust? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, you know, from running Stick Skills, I had, I think we had, like, up to 15 people at one point That's on staff. And then it was nuts. And it was so much to manage, even with having you as editor-in-chief. Like, there was so much to do day-to-day. And when I moved to Good Game Bro, I was like, cool, this is going to be a lot easier. I'm going to have more time and do cool stuff. And then I realized, like, all the editorial stuff was even more because I'm focusing on sports and shooters. And while it's a, a smaller a smaller genres, it was actually just as much work because you were covering things hardcore. And I was trying to compete with Operation Sports and all these major sites. And I just woke up one morning and I was talking to my wife and I was just like, I don't want to do editorial anymore. I just want to focus on video 
that's what's fun. That's what I care about. I don't have to worry about if we get 800 people watching an article and then next thing I know the site shuts down because the server can't handle oh it. Like <laughs> which were the worst, the worst, which is, you know, a good problem to have. Yeah. But um, that to me was just the ultimate thing of like, I can save money from having to pay server costs and things of that nature, um, give myself more free time, but just really have fun because I'm playing games and I'm recording them and I'm editing them. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable for me. Yeah, and that whole competition thing is real. Like you, when you're in that space, you have to worry about like, like if you're just covering sports games and shooters. Like, oh, I don't, I want to, you know, go up against Operation Sports and these other people who might have more money to devote to spreading this around and might have more staff and stuff like that. And uh, a YouTube channel in general, it's 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 low cost, low barrier to entry, and especially if you have a creative idea, people can start flocking to it. And what helped you? I would assume is you have plenty of contacts at EA Sports, and you were able to get access to some stuff early. Uh, fly out there, do some interesting stuff with them. So how much do you feel that's helped you build your subscriber, just having that access to the games that people want to see? And at this point, I mean, how often are you getting demos, betas, anything early that you can actually post to your channel? Yeah, I, I'd be crazy if I said that it didn't help me. Um, that's the one thing that I would tell anybody, whether you're going into editorial, whether you're doing video, whether you're just trying to get a job in your actual real life network with people never burn bridges and every single person like just because someone is on this low blog site that gets 10 hits a year or whatever like that person could then work for one of these companies that could open so many doors for you so never shut anyone out always give someone a chance um but ea has definitely been super kind to me i'd say um like madden i usually get stuff early for that or some of the shooters now i've been working with them more closely to try to get early footage so um a lot of that's been kind of grind work because even though i had good contacts when I first started out and I was only around 2,000, 3,000 subscribers, I would be like, hey, I would love to get early footage. And they would be like, cool, but your subscribers, though, yeah. aren't really that high. So that humbles you, but it also made me work harder because I was like, I want them to make that a yes and I want to do that quicker um, or sooner rather than later. Well, that's that's kind of the struggle there, right? Where you, you realize, like, I need this. I need this game or this sort of kind of edge with early access in order to get those viewers. But you need the viewers and the subscriber count you know, from the beginning in order to actually get that. I mean, what was your strategy early on? Because even when I was working with you at Stick Skills, you always had those EA contacts. Uh, and very often uh, people ask, like, hey, how did you get access to free games? Or how do you get these pe- certain people on the podcast? And, like, the honest answer is always, like, I just asked. Uh, and sure, like, I, there's, there's some clout there having, like, written for GameSpot and IGN so people, like, actually somewhat know who I am so they're willing to talk to me. But, I mean, what was the initial strategy before even Good Game Bro to talk to EA and say, hey, like, I want to work with you guys, even if right now my my hits, my, you know, YouTube audience isn't nearly what these bigger sites and bigger channels are? Yeah, no, great question. So what I try to do early on is I would look at, okay, who's the community manager for X game or Y game? And then I would say, what is probably one of the bigger pain points from them from a content standpoint? Like when I was doing editorial, I would say, okay, Dead Space is launching or the new Madden's launching. Like what do they wish they could get their audience to know to make the game easier for them to have less complaints? Mm. And how can I kind of alleviate that? So I would go and do these like tips and tricks articles that would do really, really well. And then I would be like, hey, EA, uh, just so you know, I happen to do this. Feel free to share it. Or if not, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm actually writing this stuff to make it easier for your audience. And they would see that it was doing well. Um, the people were sharing it on social media. And then I, when I transitioned to videos, like that's what it was all about. If I would go to um, events to cover like Madden or a shooter like Battlefield or something, I'm going to try to talk to them and say, what do you wish people knew how to do easier? Like from day one, like what do you think people are going to not understand? And how can I help you educate your audience and my audience 
to kind of better understand that. And from there, they're really seeing because it is a genuine thing. Like I do, I do care about that stuff. But yeah. they're seeing from day one that you're actually caring about not just creating video content, but helping the community um, and helping them in, as well. And that's just like the best thing you can do: make someone's job easier, and you'll stick around a lot longer. Would you kind of classify yourself as an enthusiast YouTube channel? Which I know, like, there's these what do these terms really mean? But like, you look at someone if someone is doing Let's look at Jim Sterling for a second. He definitely needs some help from publishers to get those games, to get those games early, to get review codes and stuff like that. But if he dislikes something, he will say it. And he will, if he dislikes a company, he will say it. And he's very just brash about that kind of thing. Like, I think right now him and Konami are in some sort of blood feud. Uh, so there's oh, yeah. that, there's that, like, again, there's a give and take to it where if he needs some of that access in order to keep those views up, in order to actually cover the stuff he wants, but he does not you know hold back he will let stuff go and get people angry at him has there ever been a concern if you're covering something that if i go too negative on this suddenly i will lose that access because i i mean i when i was younger and writing for stick skills and sites even before that there was that concern because when you're not a big site if you say if you if you give something five or six out of ten uh, and you might have a different opinion than the majority of people. You can get angry emails. I've gotten angry emails from indie developers who are pissed at me for some sort of thing I wrote about their game, even if, you know, shocker reviews or opinions. I could, <laughs> as long as I'm not <laughs> randomly making up facts and saying, like, there's a clown in this game. Like, there's no clown in this game. What are you talking about? Like, then I could see you could take issue. But has there been a moment where you're like, if I post this, they just might, you know, cut ties with me? Yeah, and I don't want to call out any companies, so I'll, I'll leave that aside. But there have been times where, like, I posted... Um, what I thought was a funny like glitch video of something happening and I've gotten that email um, or that text message that just been like, hey, why did you do that? That makes the game look really bad. And so part of it is um, explaining to them like I'm not doing this as a malicious way. Like this is meant in terms of humor and sarcasm. Like there's nothing that I'm doing that's malicious and trying to damage your brand, your game, uh, your company, however you want to put it. The one thing I've tried to do if I don't really do this as much anymore, but when I would do previews of games, if I get flown out to an event, um, I would always, if I had constructive feedback, I would put it in the video, but before the video goes live, I write down that feedback and I send it to the community manager or the rep or whoever I was working with and say, just to let you know, this is coming in my video. I'm not changing it, but these are things that I think the devs could tangibly work on, um, to improve the game. It's just my direct feedback. I want you guys to have it before the video goes live. I understand this is not malicious in any way. And that sort of stuff to me seems to work really well because they understand that again you're not trying to hurt them you have legit feedback that you are being very passionate about and it's something tangible they can then take to the developers and say hey we got this really solid feedback from more than one person now um can we make a change to the game or we can at least look into this yeah and i mean you're not a, a journalist in this sense you're not, uh, uh, yeah it, it's, it's very sure. different in this sense like youtube is because of course like if i as a journalist send something like that beforehand that would be some sort of ethical issue but for you of course it, it is that handshake it is you know, you love these sports games. You are very much into them and you're recording this content and you want it, you know, of course you want it to get better. Uh, but let's say the new Madden comes out and you think it is just hot trash. Like it comes out and you're like, this is terrible. Would you feel comfortable making videos about that saying like, this is, this part is very bad. Or was that another case where you would kind of write that constructive criticism and send it over or let them know like, Hey, this is coming out in my video. What I would do is I would try to craft it. So if Madden were coming out and were horrible, which I can say, for sure, it is absolutely not because I have played it a little bit now, especially EA Play. Um, what I would probably do is I would create like a top five things the developers need to look into or something that's just saying like these are issues that are apparent. Um, it's going to one bring views to my channel and then but it's also going to give me like an authenticity standpoint because the community can look at it and say, wow, this dude is really seeing the issues that I do. Like I get it. I want to see what else he can say to like help the developers fix the game. 
Um, so I would do something along that. It's just it's a really weird line. Like you're right. Like it's a really weird line to toe. Um, but I try to be like as constructive and fair unless it's like something egregious. Um, then it's a little bit different. What's the arc of your viewership and subscriber count kind of been throughout? Because we were talking about this a little bit earlier uh, before we started recording is sometimes you see those people who they jump on YouTube, they start making some videos and they expect like, all right, this first one will get like 50 and next one will get 500 and then 5,000 and then here comes the money train like back up the money truck we are going to dump this money in my house because YouTube is just a gold mine it's just not the case like you you need to really build that audience you need you can't just put 10 videos out that are all just let's plays and reacts videos and no one knows who you are you start out with 30 followers on Twitter and then get upset when you don't get the, that kind of viewership because it's just it's just not how this works and not how it's not how it works for almost anyone unless your personality is so amazing and you have creative ideas but has it been a steady climb or was it one of those things that once you cross like 20,000 suddenly you became more legitimate in people's eyes and then the subscribers really started to pour on man youtube is the weirdest thing that i have ever worked on in my entire life uh they're constantly changing the algorithm like google changes their algorithm as a platform a lot but Google then looks at YouTube and says, OK, cool, we're going to change stuff and really not tell you until like a couple months after it's already impacted and we've seen results. Um, what I've basically seen is that I think last year around January, I was like right around 4000 um, and then I hit 5000 shortly after. Once I hit 5K, um, I put out so many videos at that point that I, I think it was partially me understanding what I was doing wrong, which was a lot. Um, and then two people saying like, oh, this dude has 5000 subscribers. He's kind of legit, like he's a little bit of a following. And then once I hit 10K, that's when I really started to see people like actually subscribing on a consistent basis. Um, and my number is kind of doubling at that point. But there's so many little nuances in YouTube to change, whether it's um, your badge or sorry, the icon, your avatar that you kind of have in your videos to whether you're using annotations or cards to how you're actually talking and the pace of your videos. It is insane. <laughs> I, I can't even put it into words, like how many little notes I take every single time when I'm watching other YouTubers like uh, Anto the Boss or QJB or someone like that. Like it is absolutely insane. But I mean, even right now, like it's I watched one of your uh, early, early videos uh, yesterday and then watched the new stuff recently. And it has I'm come sorry, a long I'm way. I'm sorry you did that. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the, you have come a long way in terms of pacing, in terms of editing, in terms of uh just it, it sounds natural but not in the way where it gets rambly there's there's a there's a very fine line between something that sounds rehearsed and something that sounds like all right there's like first or second take but yeah it, it, it's the, you've just you've i'm not gonna say mastered because no one masters this kind of stuff but you've gotten a really comfortable point with that how much editing and gameplay goes into a single episode of your series because a lot of these let's say a madden one's usually six, seven, eight minutes, something like that. And again, pl plenty of people, and I've did this, when I wanted to start doing YouTube, I was like, I don't know, I'll stream on Twitch, then I'll throw that on there, and if people want to see it, they want to see it. But no one really wants to see that sort of raw gameplay. So, I mean, what kind of goes into a single episode of one of your series? Way too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> basically, um, in the early days, it was a struggle. I was like captain of the struggle bus back in the day. How it basically works now is I will play a game. Uh, let's say it's a game of Madden. That's going to take about 40 minutes to an hour. I capture all that on my Elgato. Shout out to Elgato, by the way. <laughs> the best capture device if you want to get one. It's really good. Absolutely. I have one now, too. Exactly. So um, I'll play about 40 minutes to an hour. I'll then take that. I will cut it down into manageable chunks. And like you said, for Madden, it's going to be about six to eight minutes usually. Um, once I get that, I will add music to like the high points and the low points so that the audience kind of has something. Because think about it as if you're watching a movie. 
like the only movie I've ever watched without background uh, music or a background of any sort that's actually been really, really good was No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Pretty much every other video, every other movie out there needs something to help the pace and to tell the audience how to feel. So I add the music in and then I record the uh, the voiceover straight from there. I don't do I don't write anything down about say this here, say that here. I just go straight off the cuff. Um, and that usually works because most of the time you want to feel this raw emotion. If you do live commentary, that can be tough because then you feel like you're rambling. Um, but it's really tough because I will get five minutes into a commentary and I'll mess up and then I'm like cursing uh, at my screen, and then I have to like start it all over because I don't want to splice it together. I want oh, to be yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Does it always have to be one take? Like you can't. Has to be. Jeez. Oh, Has to be. It it feels weird to me if it's not because you can generally tell when there's that break or that pause when people do it. So, um, I just want it to be one constant feel of like emotion the entire way. How do? How long did it take before you were actually able to naturally? Like you said, like be genuine with the emotion of what's going on on screen. Because I was watching, I don't remember the YouTuber, I'm sorry, who someone's, who does somewhat something similar to what you do with like NBA. And I wasn't entirely sure if he was recording it you know, while he was actually playing or afterward because he was actually surprised when a shot went in or a dunk happened or something like that. And it felt genuine. When did you actually feel like, all right, I'm able to do this and it sounds like I'm actually talking during the game? I would think about late last year, um, right around Madden launching last year is when I felt pretty comfortable with it. Um, I still have some moments where like, and part of the problem is too, I'll record at one in the morning because I, I go work, quote unquote, a real job. I'll come home. I like hang out with my wife for a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, I need to edit. When I'm doing a voiceover, it's like 12 o'clock, one in the morning. And then you forget because you're like, I'm so tired. You don't realize how like apathetic you sound. And so you have to like redo it over. So, but about late last year is when it started to click. You just mentioned up till like midnight or one, and then you also have the real job. How many hours a week would you say you put into this thing that is not your real job? Too many. I'd say <laughs> I'd probably come home and I would say from about seven thirty, eight o'clock until I go to bed, which is any time between eleven thirty to like one or two. Jeez. Um I'll usually be doing something. And that's not always like sometimes it's playing the game and recording it or um, I'm like watching other people's YouTube videos and saying like, oh, they do something really, really well. How can I mimic that and bring that to my own audience, but still keep it authentic to my voice and my brand? Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that that happens too. And that's the thing I think people don't realize when they're getting into this kind of stuff, where uh, it is a pretty significant time investment if you actually want to do well. Again, a lot of people do this as like, if I do this as a hobby, spend 30 minutes to an hour on it a day, it'll grow. But like, probably not. It's kind of shocking. And again, we talked about this earlier. Like, it's you can't just throw something up there. People are getting much more like discerning. People really, for some reason, they're very frugal with their subscri subscriptions. Like, I will only subscribe to people who know what they're doing. And sometimes you have to put in, like you said, three, four hours. Uh, you also do a lot of research, from what I've known from. When we work together, you do you really consider like, OK, I want to talk to people who have been there, done that. I want to talk to people who understand analytics. I want to talk to people who understand SEO and the back end, not just the actual recording of the game and stuff like that. Did you talk to a lot of people who understood YouTube analytics and who understood kind of the best editing formats uh, before you really started to get bigger? Like, was it a lot of you doing personal research and watching videos, or were you also talking to people? Oh, absolutely both. Like, I am the biggest fangirl. Like, I met, uh, the, the first time I met, like, Anto the boss, and he's actually, like, I think Anto was 23, 22? I can't remember. I'm sorry, Anto, I butchered your age, but Anto's a lot younger than I am. But I remember the first time I met him, I just, like, sat down, and I was like, hey, man, 
Kodomichu, I know that you do X, Y, and Z. Like, why do you do this? Or what do you think about this? And I was just like asking people tons of questions, taking notes on my phone. And I would be at an event with some of these guys for like three days, get all this knowledge. I would go home and I would just be like, I would have so much energy, even though I don't even drink coffee or caffeine. I'm just like cranking out stuff because I'm like, I cannot wait to try this on my videos and see how my audience reacts because they do similar content. They have similar formats and channels. Like if they're up to 500, 600,000 subscribers and it's working for them, I can blend that into my channel in some way or form and get that to work for me. So while I do a ton of research on my own, I will ask anybody and everyone for advice because I'm not above asking people like how they got to where they are now. If you had to pinpoint one thing that does make your channel different from these other people who you've drawn inspiration from, what do you kind of feel like that is right now? Right now, so there's, I don't know how familiar you are, J.J. Uh, Abrams has this thing called the Mystery Box. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to Marcus Frisky because Marcus Frisky kind of turned me on to this who uh, works at EA. But it's basically that thing that makes you want to continue watching a video, right? Like some people take so long to get into the actual point of their video or the actual action. And by the time you're trying to hook a new subscriber or even a current viewer, they're going to be like, eh, this is getting too boring. There's yeah. nothing to really hook me. Like you need something in that first 30 seconds that people are going to be like, oh, wow, that was really cool. I'm going to see what else happens. And then after 30 more seconds, something else to hook them in. Like there has to be really good pacing um, and something intriguing or else your audience will fall out and you'll see it in your audience retention. Like I'm fortunate enough now that most of my main series have a 70% audience retention rate. Um, And I, every time I see that, I get so hyped. It's a little like pump my air in the fist moment, but (laughs) um, it took a lot to get there, but that's the thing. Like look up the mystery box theory for aspiring YouTubers. And that's one of the best things you can look into. You just opened a merchandise store too, which is always something I wonder where, when do you feel comfortable actually releasing merchandise and feeling like I could actually get something out of this because I always point to Patreon. So there's a lot of people who start those when they have like 800 Twitter followers, not very much of a name for themselves. And they think like, again, like I'll be able to do this and support myself and they get like $35 a month. And of course it's, I wouldn't say embarrassing, but it's a little bit like, Oh, I thought I'd get more. And it, it can be disappointing to see something like that. And there has to be kind of a thought in your head where you release this merchandise store. And of course you see these people, watching your streams, watching all your videos, sending all these comments, saying how much they love you, saying they're the, their favorite YouTuber and something like that. But there has to be a concern in your head when you release that where it's like, and I sold one shirt. Like, how, what was kind of the <laughs> thinking about when you would actually launch that? So my rule of thumb for anything that's merchandise or where I'm asking the user to pay something, like monetary-wise to do it, I basically think in my head at what point am I tired of answering this question? Like when I'm in doing a stream or YouTube video and people are like, when are you going to sell t-shirts? When are you going to sell snapbacks? When are you going to sell cell phone cases? When I got to the point of like, I am so tired of answering this question and telling you guys in the future at some point, that's when I thought like, okay, now it's time to do a t-shirt because I don't, how I look at YouTube is like, I think of my subscribers as a community. Like I am very particular about them. I don't really do any paid sponsorships and the ones, the few that I have done, I have felt very, very good about that company and I would use them on my own. And that's the only time I would ever put them in front of my audience. Like I look at my audience as like a family and I don't want them to do anything. I don't want to do anything that's going to frustrate them, piss them off, annoy them. Um, so once I got to that point where they were like, please give us t-shirts, then I was like, okay, cool. Now it's time um, to do that. And I don't want to, you know, ask for the exact numbers from you, but have you been surprised or happy with the results so far of just a few days of that store being up? Yeah. And so the crazy thing was I announced the T-shirt store in um, a live stream where I had only like 200 people watching. But I announced it there because I was like, when we cross 40,000, I'll announce something for you guys. So then I dropped the link in chat 
people were going in and buying them kind of off the bat. And I was like, this is really cool. I didn't think anybody would actually buy one. So like, thank you guys. Um, and then I just did a video before we went on uh, to do our chat today, just announcing for everybody else that wasn't in that chat because only like 200 people to 40,000 were in that chat. Mm -hmm. So like, they're really not going to know. So I'm hoping I see more trickle in, but I've been pleasantly surprised by the people that have bought them so far. And you mentioned that you don't do too many sponsorships and stuff in front of your videos, but you look at podcasts today and almost any major podcast will do like Joe Rogan experience has like five or six ads right off the bat and they go right into the conversation. Giant Bombcast does like one at the start, one like a third of the way through, another one two thirds of the way through. Uh, and there's a lot, you know, a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same sponsors and stuff like that. Is there stuff like that with YouTube? And this could just be me being completely just not knowing a lot about that side of the business. But are there people who maybe say like, oh, here's a nature box that I want to talk about at the start of my video and now on to the content? Or is that something you don't see very often? You do see it a good bit um, in my genre, like the sports and shooters area. You see it more of like um, people talking about custom controllers or like loot crate boxes or things of that nature. So it's starting to become more and more apparent, but it's a delicate balance between showing that content and not alienating your audience. And I think a lot of people, what they end up doing is they alienate their audience because they're just putting it too long up front and they're negotiating it in really weird terms because maybe they can do it for 30 seconds and get X amount of dollars. But if they do it for a Y amount of time or like a minute and a half, then they're going to like triple that profit. And they're like, oh, I see dollar signs. I'm going to do that and not realizing they're going to like frustrate their audience and have them unsubscribe or not watch their videos as frequently, even if they do remain a subscriber, which is the worst thing in the world. When you have your subscribers become dormant, um, you companies are looking at engagement rate and they're saying like, oh, you had 500,000 subscribers, but you only had like 10,000 people watch this video. Um, that's not really a good correlation. Uh, you mentioned use Elgato earlier, which I have one too. Super useful. Uh, but what's your actual other setup? Like what other sort of software do you use for editing and what's the how do you how do you actually make one of these videos? I think a lot of people go in saying like all I really have is this PS4 and I can stream directly through Twitch. But other than that, not too much going on here. Like what different pieces do you use to actually make one of these videos? Yeah, no, great question. So for a uh, mic, I'm using an AT2020, which is by Audio-Technica. Uh, it's a USB mic. I would recommend for everybody get like a fancy USB mic like that or Blue Yeti to start out with when you're doing YouTube commentary. Um, and then as you get like greater on and you're like getting all these subscribers and you're famous, one, give me a shout out. But then two, <laughs> uh, you can buy an actual like real mic that uses, uh, I forgot the actual like term. It's like an analog plug instead of mm -hmm. basically being a USB one. Um, I have the Elgato HD60 is my current model. I have a custom built PC that cost me like $850, but if I would have bought it in a store, it'd be like $1,400. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not bad at all. Yeah, so that's worked out really well for me. Um, I use Sony Vegas to edit, which is like the YouTuber special. Like every YouTuber, when they start out, it's like, I'm using Sony Vegas. <laughs> um, I am too much of a pansy to like grow up and use Adobe Premiere right now. Um, and what else? I think and I use Audacity to record my audio because, again, I'm too like cheap to like upgrade that at this Audacity's point. good though. Like I think that's yeah. a totally fine solution. I, one of the main things that like, your audio is really good in your videos. So I wouldn't, you don't think you need to up, upgrade in too many ways, but I got to say one thing that does really, I think overall turn me off from certain videos is poor audio quality. I don't think people realize it. Like yep. if, if your audio isn't good, and especially with podcasts, I listen to uh, an NBA podcast that I won't name that uh, the, <laughs> the content is really great. And like, I really, really enjoy it, but the audio almost always sounds like a phone call and I get it. Like 
that's you do you that's fine but like it makes me not want to listen to it as much even though the actual content is fantastic and that bugs me and i've definitely had seen youtube videos where because the audio wasn't on point i'm just distracted and want to get off even if the content is there like i i think that is one of do you kind of see audio as one of the main things you have to nail on youtube like if if you could do uh if you had to choose between like a plus audio and c quality video or a plus video and c quality audio would you always side with audio yeah, audio has to be where it's at. There are so many potato mics on YouTube. It is ridiculous, so man. So bad. Yeah, it's it's super important. And we we did mention before, you, you recently moved to Ohio, Cleveland. You uh, have a full-time job there. So that's what pays the bills. But now they're at 40,000 subscribers. Can you envision a scenario in your head where this becomes something that you actually make more money from than your full-time job? Again, I, I think... I just never really get a good grasp of YouTube economics because sometimes you hear people say like, oh, this guy's making five million. And there's a guy with like 100,000 subscribers who's like, I get a check for almost nothing every month. Like, is there ever in your mind going to be a point if you continue on this growth curve where you can kind of lean on this for money? I think where I'm at, and it's funny because my boss even asked me the other day, like, do I think that'll happen? I've had two jobs since I was 17, technically, I think, okay. with like having a website and something else or like having a real yeah, job yeah. and like a website or something of that nature. I think I always want to do YouTube as a hobby. I'm afraid of doing it full time and just being burnt out and frustrated because I'm overly critical of the work that I do. Um, so I would be really afraid of going that route. I think maybe at some point I could like eclipse what I make, but I don't know. I The money is great, and I absolutely love having extra income coming in, but um, I really do it because, like, and this might sound like I have a poor self-esteem or something, but like, I love signing in and seeing my users, like, commenting, like, oh, this video was so awesome, or, like, I love this video, or, like, thank you for putting all this extra time in it, and, like, they may not even, a lot of them don't even realize that I'm staying up till 1, 2 in the morning sometimes to edit videos and, like, put them out for them, and I only do three to four a week. Um, but when I get those like little people that are just like, oh, this video was awesome. GGB like completely makes everything more worth it than when I get like a paycheck from like the partner company that I'm with. Like it absolutely makes it worth it. Oh, without a doubt. Like I just today got uh, a, a private message from someone who uh, just listened to the most recent episode of the podcast. And it was just this super nice like keep it up, you know, and you're doing great with this, blah, blah, blah. Like I wish I could, you know, talk is like like casually as you do with people and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you probably could. It's not that hard. All I did was just start talking. But like <laughs> stuff like that is like more rewarding than again, I, I really enjoy my full time job. I, I love all my coworkers. But when someone's like, Good job with this web seminar, like that's cool. But when someone's like, Good job with this creative thing that you're passionate about and then you put extra effort in that like you don't have to do, uh, that means a lot more to me. And that always has. And that's again, I've, I've said multiple times, like I when I landed my full-time job, it was great and amazing. But when I saw myself on IGN and GameSpot, there was this certain level of like, holy shit, I did this. Like I, you know, a lot of people along the way helped, and I, you know, couldn't have been here without multiple people, multiple sites, multiple editors, and stuff like that. But there's this this something about once you find something that you really love to do, and like you, you're willing to stay up late and have to have a like three cups of coffee in the morning just to keep your eyes open. But if you can get that one comment from someone saying like, this was amazing, or you know, I now listen to this every week or, you know, I please keep doing this and here's some ideas for you because I really want you to interview these people or do this sort of content like that's it's really cool. It's it's one of those things that's hard to describe to other people. Like I when I try to describe like 
uh, when I was coming up and they're like, why do you spend, you know, why do you wake up at 5 a.m. to write these articles? Why do you, you know, spend all this extra time while you're at college? And it's like, I, I wish I could like describe what it's like when you have a passionate kind of thing that you can fulfill in that way, this sort of project like that. Because if you don't have it, it's hard to, it's hard to understand. But once you find it, it's pretty amazing and super, super rewarding. Definitely agree, man. Definitely agree. So what, at what point does a YouTuber, and everyone's different, but like what kind of subscriber count do you start actually seeing a return on your investment? Because again, I just don't know how any of this works. Like I, I am uh, good friends with Jake Baldino and he works for Game Ranks right now. And that's a kind of a different situation because there's, there's an owner of Game Ranks and he's there, but they just crossed like 2 million subscribers. Which is nuts. It's insane. Like that dude could take just about anything and make it to gold. Like he is amazing. Yep. But like, agreed. So now they have like I think two or three people who are doing that almost I think there's two part-time people but like that's his job. Like that is now his job. He was able to quit his other job and live comfortably because he was able to foster this thing. So what's kind of the arc for that that you understand it? Like is there a point where at 20,000 you start seeing a return, you start seeing it 10? Like what's the sort of the bar there? I think the real hurdle for a lot of people is like the actual view count. Subscribers is, are great because that's going to be how many people are typically going to return to your video some portion of them. Um, but you really want to, one, get a decent subscriber count. You want to then, two, sign with an MCN or like a partner network like, um, not Machinima, uh, but like Full <laughs> yeah. Screen or Studio 71 or somebody Wait, of that nature. Someone? Yeah, I'm with uh, Full Screen. Oh, after, yeah, after like 10,000 subscribers, I partnered with them. Um, but I'm probably going to leave my contract in February. Like, they've been solid, but. Um, I want more personal attention to like help foster my growth in my channel. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to a different network to hopefully figure that out. So fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's about like once you get to that partner network, you're going to see more advertising revenue typically kick in. Um, but they're also going to take a cut of your revenue. So when you're first starting out, you get 100% of your stuff pretty much or 90% of your stuff from Google. If you go to an MCN, you're probably going to be at like 75% unless you kind of finagle the deal a little bit. Um, Typically, you want to be about 85 to 90 percent of the revenue that you make is what you want to get back once you're over like 10,000, 15,000 subs. Um, but once you're there and you're starting to get good views, like if you're getting 5,000 views uh, per video, you're probably making like pretty good return in your investment. Anything above that is just going to be kind of like extra for you. Um, but a lot of people spend like so much money up front. They don't realize like get solid equipment. Do great videos, let the people come in, let the views come in, let the revenue come in, and then turn that revenue back into your equipment again to improve your audio, to improve your editing, to um, give you better lighting. Lighting is huge, too. So many people, like, record and it looks like they're just living in a cave. Like, open some <laughs> windows, get some lighting, and let your audience actually see you. Yeah, I recently did a video interview with someone for uh, Not This Job, and there was like, it looked like he was in a cave. I'm like, where are you? It's like, <laughs> I'm interviewing this guy from some bunker in some foreign country, and how are you doing today? Like, that kind of stuff just gets... It's amazing, again, how many people also use the integrated mic on their laptop, or something like that, no. where it's like, why would you ever... How? No. How would... Like, you work on YouTube, like, the uh, it's... People are the worst is really the big summary on this. And again, I don't want 100%. you to give me your direct money stuff like that. But I'm just curious. If someone is getting, let's say they're doing daily videos uh, or five videos a week, and they're getting 5,000 hits per video, is there like a direct money value you get for each video? Is that something where you're getting like $20 a video, $50 a video? Am I overshooting that? Am I undershooting that? I just have no idea. Yeah, it's a crazy little science thing. So it's also going to depend on like how long people are watching videos, right? Like you might get 5,000 views, but you get 
like average duration is a minute and 30 to watch it. Um, but you might have a person who's getting 5,000 views per video, but they're also having someone watch it for at least eight minutes for their audience retention. Mm. What companies do when they're advertising is they say, I want the person who has views plus audience retention at a high rate so that I will put more money behind ads going to them. Like they're going to bid a lot higher to get yeah. it there because they're like, oh, this audience cares more about what this person is doing. They're going to stick around more. They're going to at least sit through my advertisement for a little bit. Um, it's definitely worth more to them to do that. So there's not like an exact science, but I would say a person doing 5,000 views of like maybe like a two, if they had like a two minute audience duration, they're probably making at least a couple bucks in the first couple of days. And then it might, depending on how their video tails out, could be more, could be less. Um, but it depends. There's like so many factors that go into that, though, is the only problem. Do you get a fat check from YouTube? How does that or is it directly from the advertisers? Like what's the actual payment there? So YouTube uh, drives a armored truck to my house okay, and then they right. show up and they're like, YouTube money. <laughs> and then I typically twerk outside of my house and then I sign the check. That's usually what I expect is that everyone twerks as soon as they – you also get one of those big checks. <laughs> like it's one of those really big <laughs> exactly. novelty checks that's like, here's your $7. Then you hang up the $7 big check on your wall and then everyone thinks you're important. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the only reason I really want to start YouTube so that people can think I'm important with a giant check on my wall. So many more people would do YouTube if that was the case. I would immediately do it. I would quit all my jobs. (laughs) Um, But how it works is uh, through my MCN, I get direct deposit. So it direct deposits into my PayPal. And then for my PayPal, I generally keep it there. Um, Because the sucky thing about YouTube is you don't pay taxes on uh, that stuff as you get it. So I I try to hold um, at least 40% aside into PayPal. And then I'll use the other 60%. Um, per paycheck to basically say, okay, I'm going to upgrade this or I'm going to buy a license for um, Adobe Premiere or Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop or something of that nature. So that's the hard part because a lot of YouTubers get that money and they're like, oh, I got all this money to spend YouTube money. And then they're like broke Um, and they start doing crazy sponsorships and their channels spiral out. So it's a it's a tough little thing. How hard can it be to not just like now that you have this base audience of over 40,000 to just instead of have these videos that take hours to make and are eight minutes long to be like, I'm, I saw this really cool glitch in my game. I'm going to randomly throw up this 30 second clip and I did this cool dunk. I'm going to throw this up there and hopefully these get similar numbers of views and then roll in the hashtag YouTube money. It's uh, it's definitely tough. I will say that like I've been at the gym sometimes and I'll throw down like a 360 or something <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this will be so cool to put on my channel. But again, what's going to happen is my audience is going to be like, you've uploaded 800 videos not of this why are you doing it but um one thing i am doing so a little spoiler alert uh 2k exclusive yeah yeah exclusive you got some exclusive stuff uh 2k is going to drop in like a couple of weeks or a couple of months at this point what are we in okay so we're almost in uh august but when 2k drops i'm going to do kind of a series where i mix my real life sports stuff with like other games so in 2k like my wife would control like LeBron James and do a bunch of dunks and we're going to play horse and I'll have to basically do whatever dunk she did oh, that's a good um, in real life or stuff with like three point challenges and things of that nature. So I'm going to bring in a lot more of that stuff because my audience is like, we saw you dunk on Twitter, do it on YouTube. And again, it got to the point where I was like, OK, cool. They keep asking for it now. Like now I'm at the point where like they want it. I'll definitely give it to them. That has to be like introducing new stuff has to be weird. It has to be like nerve wracking as soon as that uploads of like, oh, God, is this going to get like. 60% dislikes because it's not what I've done in the past and it's different and you never want to be seen as someone who's like doing gimmicky stuff for the sake of doing gimmicky stuff. Get, putting stuff on YouTube and not knowing the reaction is terrifying. When um, when the Here They Lie trailer, the game I'm working on, when that uh, went out for the first time, I think I refreshed that like nonstop for like a day. 
Like I could not stop <laughs> watching it because it was on the Sony channel, so it had this massive subscriber like intake right there. So it, immediately it starts getting it's up, it's over 300,000 hits now. So my first thought was like, please don't have like 50% dislikes. I'm gonna be so bummed, especially like <laughs> when you know these people and you know how much they put into it and how like you know you never know how the reaction to that kind of thing is gonna be. It ended up being like. 95% thumbs up, which is amazing, but you just never know. So, like, it, it, how nerve-wracking can that be when you start a new series for people to just be like, I hate this, why are you playing UFC, MMA is not a real sport, lol, unsubscribe. Oh, man, it definitely happens, and there's stuff where, like, I'll see the views not correlate, like, Madden is by far the most popular thing on my channel, and I'll upload um, UFC right now, and it's, like, kind of struggling when I upload it, where at launch it was killing it. Yeah. Um, there's scary stuff, too, like, I'll do... Like an unboxing video, which I just put up today, or anything that shows my face is probably the scariest thing in the world. Um, because if you've ever seen me, I don't look like what my voice sounds like, apparently. So everyone, like, freaks out uh, every single time. So that's, like, the most, like, nerve-wracking thing, because I'm like, please don't unsubscribe. I freaked out when I first heard your voice. I remember we, when you, like, hired me, we were on, like, Xbox 360 chat talking about the site and like kind of our plans for it. and as soon as i heard it i thought you had like one of those voice like modifier things so you could sound like oh, like God. way deeper and i was like whoa what did i get myself into and then realized pretty quickly that was just your voice but no there's totally i i, I that's my favorite thing is to read the comments in your videos to be like man that that voice is is deep yeah people call me like darth vader and stuff when i'm doing live streams you're like way. It's kind of weird, but other people will be like, yo, I don't want my mom to talk to you on the phone. Or like, can you say my mom's name? And I'm like, yo, this is kind of a little creepy little boy. Like, oh, that's so please weird. don't say oh, that. No. Yeah. That's, uh. So um, you just mentioned again, you, you have these new ideas for different series and stuff like that. But I mean, what is your plan for the rest of the year? Because, you know, what, what, what got you to where you are are these specific series and Madden and NBA and NHL and... Uh, following these certain characters and following them in, in their careers, collegiate and otherwise. And if randomly you started doing, like, I'm going to play that new ukulele game, which is a 3D platformer, because you guys want to see that, right? Like, that wouldn't work. But, like, what are you, what's your current plan for the end of the year to switch things up so that you don't hit the point where suddenly people are like, oh, this is getting stale. I've seen all these series. Let's move on. Yep. So, I mean, that is the hardest part with sports games because there really aren't career modes um, that are very well done. So you have to spice them up. Like I'll mix in Grand Theft Auto a lot of times and be like, oh, Isaiah is driving to the stadium or he just got a huge contract in free agency. Like, look at this sick car that he bought. Oh, is that I'll... from Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it from Grand Theft Auto. You somehow, I, I thought I missed some weird thing in like Madden <laughs> where I'm like, I remember this part with the car, but that was a good job. <laughs> Yeah, so like I'll go into GTA and I will go into uh, the Rockstar editor or Rockstar creator mode, mm -hmm. and I'll like do this scene. I'll like write out a scene on paper and then I'll like reenact the scene in GTA and then I'll cut the footage like a bunch of different angles in Rockstar creator, uh, a Rockstar editor, and then I'll like mix it into Madden so that it kind of works. Like Super Bowl, I'll definitely do it free agency and stuff like that. Um, or I'll say like pick Isaiah's car, which is my Madden series. I'll, like pick his car that he should get after he signed this huge contract from all that YouTube money, and then they'll be like. You should get this one because of X, Y, and Z. Like that to me, like you want to always involve your audience because um, you don't want to talk at them. It should be a conversation. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you definitely do that with like giving them the option to vote on stuff and actually communicating with them through that. Uh, so last question, what shooter or sports game that has not come out this year are you most excited to actually play and record content for? What's what? what is, it, is it Titanfall 2, Battlefield 1? Again, the new Madden you talked about, you've had some playtime with it. I am way too excited to play the new 2k it's weird because the last two years i've reviewed them for GameSpot, so it's been this crunch to try to like 
push through it and now I actually have the luxury of playing it like a normal person. But like what actual <laughs> game are you most uh, excited for? It's really tough. I'm going to split it up on sports and shooters. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. Please don't shoot me. Is right, that, well, I promise. Can that be within the rules? Can yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. Okay. So on the shooter side, it's tough to pick between Titanfall 2 and Battlefield 1. Um, but I'm going to go with Titanfall 2 just because like there's something about And I played it at EA Play and I was like, I literally went in and out of the line like six different times in the first day. Because I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and keep playing this because it's dope. Um that game should be absolutely nuts. And then on the sports side, I got to go with Madden. I My problem with 2K is, like, they haven't announced anything other than pre-order bonuses right now, so I don't have anything to go off gameplay-wise. kind of like the mystery, but no, I know what you mean. <sighs> yeah, I mean, well, they announced the My League thing where you can do expansion teams, so I'm probably going to do the Supersonics and then, like, bring Russell Westbrook there because I'm kind of mad at Kevin Durant oh, right amazing. now. Oh, he's, he's your favorite player, too. We haven't talked about that. Uh, I'm a little salty right now. I may have put his statue in storage right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say Madden for sports just because like having played it, I'm like, this is going to be so good. And then Titanfall 2 for shooters. All right, great. Well, Doug, thank you for coming back to the show and talking with me. It's it, it's cool to see this doing as well as it's doing. And I don't know very many people who deserve it as much as you because you put that work behind it. This is not some you know 30-minute, I guess I'll just throw this on YouTube and hope for the best. This is very... Calculated in a good way. It's, it's very researched, and uh, it, it does come off as very conversational and understanding of your audience and not overly rehearsed. But I know the work that goes into every video and how you build this out. So it, it, it's cool to see it grow. It's cool to see you kind of break through on YouTube, which is so difficult to do nowadays because there are 8 billion people joining every day who are trying to you know cash in on something they don't fully understand. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes and next time we talk you'll probably be clear of a hundred thousand and you'll be doing like crazy video stuff that i'll barely understand at that point yeah i hope we talk tomorrow and i'm over a hundred thousand <laughs> that's, that's how this I'm works hoping. right as soon as yeah as soon as this podcast goes live everyone's like holy shit this channel's out there subscribe that's how this works but no huge congrats to you by the way you're killing it with this podcast i to me it's so crazy to think that we went from this eight thousand word email that you wrote me like years ago it's to like where words. you are now so uh, super proud of like everything you've done, man. Like keep killing it. Thank you. I would not be doing any of these podcasts if I didn't write for your site. So thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. And thanks for listening. But last week was, uh, my most list last two weeks ago, I guess Alex Navarro, uh, was my most listened to episode by like so much and it got all over the place and it was super cool to see. So again, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes. Leave a rating. Someone gave this podcast a one out of five, and that person's a jerk. And what you should do, and this should get you as angry as it gets me, go there and give it five stars. And then we'll just balance that out, and everything will be great. And write a review, please, because that super helps people find this podcast. So thanks again, and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.